Welcome to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're heard nationally wherever fine podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's 1250 WTMA Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. And we're right here at our home base in Charleston, South Carolina with Robin Berlinski herself. And hello and welcome to the show. Thank you. So... This is a, a rare opportunity where you and I just get to have a chat. And I like that because you always teach me something. And I always get infuriated by some of the goings on I hear behind the scenes of the education process. I got, why? I don't get it. I don't get it. And this is one of them. So it begins with one of our listener questions. And let me point out that if you have a question for Robin, visit her website at robinberlinski.com, R-O-B-I-N-B-E-R-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com, where you can listen to all the other podcasts and get lots of information, links to our guests, you name it, it's all right there. All right, so here's the question, and I don't believe this. I almost feel like it's made up, but I know it's not. Listener asks, I do not teach in South Carolina, but I'm wondering how your state values recess. My principal is considering taking recess away because our students scores so low. The student scores are so low on standardized tests. What? What? What is the correlation? I don't get this. What are they gonna? What are they gonna do better by not getting out and blowing off steam for thirty minutes or an hour? <laughs> well, you're you're so right, and I have to say, your surprise surprises me because in the education world, this is not uncommon. This is. Really? Unfortunately, happening across the country because of the emphasis we put on those tests. And many leaders believe that being in the classroom with more worksheets, more books, more reading is going to actually increase the scores when we all know, just even if you don't know the research or the data, we all know that sitting still for long periods of time does not stimulate our brain in any way. So, I mean, you don't even have to follow the research to know that. But I am surprised that you're surprised. But, you know, if you're not an educator, you might not know that this is common. Well, but it's no different than when people say they're going to take arts out of the school, somehow thinking that it doesn't have the tremendous value that it does. I mean, I, you know, I'm no educator, but I do have two kids that we put through school, and I would be outraged if they lost arts and recess in their schools. I don't see the value of that. No. And, you know, through my 30 years in education, I've seen recess being taken away as punishment. So if something happened, you know, you don't turn in your homework up, no recess for you. And, you know, if anyone listened to a recent podcast with Mary Beth Clark, she talks about the energy in the room and how to channel the energy of kids who might be seen as misbehaving, but really they just have a lot of energy and sure. they need to get the wiggles out. She rechannels that rather than fighting it. You know, if that kid is is the one jumping out of the seat and tapping the pencil, they have pent up energy. You know, making them sit in their seat for longer is certainly not going to be a benefit. Get them outside and run around and do something that, you know, it, it is surprising to me, but it is happening. Um, and I want to point out that around the world, a lot of great things are happening in response to this happening here in the United States. And the response is like, for example, in Finland, their schools are mandating that all primary school students have 15 minutes of recess for every 45 minutes of class. So they're making sure the kids get up and move around. Another example in Shanghai, 
Students have a 10-minute recess for every 40 minutes of instruction. So they're really looking at how often are the kids sitting at a desk? How often are they doing worksheets and reading, which are, you know, all in and of themselves potentially important, based, you know, depending on how they're being taught. I'm not a fan of worksheets. Just want to throw that out there. But, you know, when you look at the full picture, is sitting there for seven or eight hours a day really beneficial to anyone? And the answer to me is no. Well, and this, I guess, in a way, goes along with something that I remember reading or seeing a long time ago. In Japan, for example, in offices, in workspaces, the employees go through physical exercise every so often during the day. Obviously, it's been proven to help their uh, their minds and keep right. them focused. Right, and we have walking desks now. I mean, people, you know, walk at a standing desk. It's, Yeah. Well, so what are your fellow educators thinking about this? I mean, is is this a decision that comes from the principal, from the school district? How does a rule like this become pervasive across a whole school system? It can be either or. It, it can be a teacher deciding the students aren't fulfilling, you know, the objectives, so we're going to stay in and do more. It can be the principal, like this listener asked, who makes a school-wide decision, and it can be leadership in a district saying, you know, as a school district as a whole, we're going to hold back on recess until our scores can go up. It really depends on where you are, where you live, and, and how your district is set up. But, you know, the benefits of movement are just so well documented. You know, my advice to this this listener who asked this question, um, you know, the answer is, you know, how how we value recess you know, me personally, you know, I just talked about that. So what do you do with that information now? And my advice is you never want to like call out the principal, especially publicly, you know, when it's announced in a faculty meeting, you don't want to say, well, you know, I don't believe in that and here's why. But if you, you know, as a teacher, look around the country, look around the world, gather the data, get the numbers. Numbers don't lie. Talk about the the Finnish schools, the schools in Shanghai, the, um, Reggio Emilia School, the forest schools in Germany, get the data and present it to the principal in a very professional way. Like, hey, I heard what you said about recess. I understand your motive is for us to increase test scores. So let's look at that. Could there be other ways? And I've found some data from around the world that actually shows recess does improve students' ability to concentrate to remember things and even enhances their creative thinking, their focus, their social skills. So, you know, could we look at that? And maybe you could change the principal's thinking a little bit. It isn't part of the problem. And again, you know, I'm still a a novice. I'm here to, to learn from the master. There's already lots of problems with standardized tests. And how are you going to improve someone's, let's say, science portion by keeping them out of of recess for 30 minutes. I mean, now, one of my friends used to tell me all the time, well, Ron, there's your first mistake. You're using logic again. <laughs> and when I would look at this with in disbelief, um, you know, where do we go with this? I mean, what do you do if you're a parent and you see this obvious uh, transformation in the classroom and your kid is not doing well as a result of this? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, parents know their kids better than anyone. And This makes me think of uh, Harvard researcher Howard Gardner. He's been looking at modalities of learning, multiple intelligences, like how we as humans learn, no matter what age you are. We all have variable modalities that we receive information and retain it. We understand it. We don't just memorize for a test, regurgitate the information, and next week we have no idea. So, 
there are eight that, you know, are solid. He's, he's still researching. I learned about him in the 80s, and I've been following him ever since. I use his um, eight modalities in my class at the College of Charleston, and one of them is bodily kinesthetic. There are students, there are people that learn best by moving, doing, interacting, jumping. You know, I think of some of the kindergarten and first grade classrooms I've observed with my students at the College of Charleston, and they'll have kids up making letters with their bodies and spelling words with, you know, an, a partner or making geometric shapes with a group of four. And there are ways that kids remember things by getting up and moving. And we have to make sure we're tapping into all of that. And as a parent, if you know your child learns best by doing, pays attention more when they're not sitting, you know, you want to bring that to the teacher's attention. Well, show me statistics that say taking away recess improves test score. Let's start <laughs> I, Let's start there. I'm going to say there there is no research proving that unless somebody wants to call in and show me where it is. I would love to see it. I mean, if nothing else, and again, this is from my my naivete, you let kids go out and blow off some steam, get some exercise. That's kind of leveling the playing field. Let's get that energy out. Let's get back in the classroom, and now let's do something. But when you have kids that are scoring at different levels, it has nothing to do with recess. It has to do with their previous education and what you know, and the way their genetic makeup is. Probably, I mean, what can you tell us about? standardized tests that seem to be the big, you know, buzzword these days. Well, you know, I, I look at it from a view as a South Carolina educator, and we have these um, kind of like the North Star of how we teach, and it's called the Profile of the South Carolina Graduate. And there are, there are knowledge skills, which is the traditional what we think about, you know, reading, writing, math, science, social studies. And then there are what they call world-class skills, which is like creativity, collaboration, problem solving, grit, um, cooperation. Really, if you think about it, what employers are looking for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can teach somebody how to do a job. It's harder to teach somebody how to have integrity, show up on time, be, be a good communicator. So when you look at the profile of the South Carolina graduate and you break it down, most of what we teach toward are those skills like the math and the science, the more traditional skills, and we leave out the world-class skills. And so we need to find a way to bring them together, which is what all interdisciplinary teaching, again, movement, getting up and doing activities that really bring out all of that in one lesson. So the kids are more engaged, they're motivated, it has meaning, and then it's memorable. Right, because you shared this list with me earlier, I'd like to go through some of these, if you don't mind, the eight modalities of learning. And we've already touched on bodily kinesthetic. But, and you're going to have to explain this to me because you know I'm not that bright. But <laughs> let's start with visual spatial. What exactly okay. does that mean and how does it affect learning? Okay, I'll give you an example. So let's say I'm teaching third grade and we go to the aquarium. Mm -hmm. It's our field trip and I want to know that my students learned about um, uh, environments where uh, uh, animals in their natural habitats. So we go back to the classroom and I'm going to give everybody clay. And I'm going to ask them to show me with this piece of clay what you learned at the aquarium today based on our science lesson last week. And so they're taking an experience that's inside their head. It's abstract. I can't see it. 
And they're going to create something based on a memory, a vision in their mind, and they're going to create it. So how well can they transfer something they see or have seen and make it real for me to now see? Whether it's a drawing, a sculpture, a dance, it's creating something for me from your memory. Well, that's that's cool. Isn't that I mean, cool? I bet you've been surprised by some people's artistic ability. When <laughs> I've been surprised by my own lack of artist artist um, ability, but yes, you are surprised. All right, so the difference then, uh, a couple more modalities, interpersonal versus intrapersonal. Okay, so interpersonal is when you thrive in a group setting. You work best when you're in a team and everybody is assigned, like you're the project manager and I'm going to look at our our materials budget, and this person's going to lead all of our our work. Um, you thrive in that setting. Intrapersonal means you do much better alone. You work better when you are the one person doing a project. Um, and sometimes you can be a little of both, but usually students will gravitate toward one of those. So you want to make sure you do that. You know, you're not just a teacher who's focused on group work. You want to make sure you give independent work so those kids can also thrive. All right, so going back to uh, no doubt this has something to do with arts in the classroom. Musical is one of the most uh, one of the modalities of learning. Makes sense, but explain it so we can all understand. So at the highest level, I want to point out that um, interestingly, music and math are so tightly connected that most, like I've heard, um, doctors, medical doctors have music backgrounds. Like there's some real deep connections between music and math, which just intrigues me. I want to learn more about that. And then at a more basic level, if you look back, I don't know if you did this when, when you were younger. Did you watch um, Schoolhouse Rock? Oh, is sure. That what it, is that well, what I it think was there called? was maybe after my time. Was it I, Schoolhouse, the Conjunction Junction? Yeah, what's your what's function? Your function? The, the one about the bill on the hill, yeah. you know? So it's using those songs that create this memory of something in social studies, like how is a bill passed or what is a conjunction? Um, and I never was one of these um, students who learned about all the states and capitals, but I know some teachers, there's a song and you can like go through every state and it's capital and you sing it. Um, I never, I, I never got that talent. Did you? No, I just remember uh, HOMES, H-O-M-E-S, was an acronym for the Great Lakes. Do you remember this? No. Huron, Huron. Ontario, Michigan, um, Erie, H-O-M-E, and Superior. And Superior. Yeah. No. How do you like that? I never learned that. Well, and I know it's not musical, wow. but I can sing it if you want. Well, I grew up near the Great Lakes <laughs> on Lake Ontario, so I think I probably never missed that one on the quiz. But geez, that's amazing. So yeah, musical. And I remember this from a million years right, ago. Right, because... It was part of these modalities. That's exactly right. I mean, and I had, you know, to your point, I've had some teachers in the past who really brought that creativity to the classroom, and that's what we remembered. Yeah. To this day, I remember, we talk about this, my fifth grade teacher, because of all these incredible things she brought into the classroom. Yeah. I want to um, share for musical just a minute, shout yeah. out to one of my students at the college. Yesterday, I was observing, they're in their pre-service, juniors in college, and I was observing one of my students teaching first grade and she was teaching patterns with music Wow! and the students were, you know, clapping and tapping and it was beautiful and she just did it flawlessly. And I'm so proud of her because this is a great way to launch into her career. Again, with so much success attributed to creativity in the classroom, why is it not more prevalent and embraced by everyone? Why is there still this constant battle? I don't get it. You're not alone. Okay. 
All right, continuing with the modalities, now naturalist. I'm wondering if this has something to do with like the forest schools of Germany that we talked about. And I, I'm sure I'm wrong, but explain this you're to You're not me. wrong. Actually, you're right. And um, for a while, there were seven modalities, mm-hmm. and naturalist became the eighth. It was, ah. it was the one that Howard Gardner um, brought in last. And it's part of being outside students who... Really, field trips, if you think about it, getting outside the four walls of a classroom, getting them away from the desk, going outside. There's a book I love. um, It looked like spilt milk, and it's about clouds and what you see in the sky and how they, you know, what patterns do you see? What pictures do you see? And things like that where kids can go outside and look at a tree and think about the roots and, and the life cycle of a tree and just any way they can be involved in nature. And shout out to um, my son's elementary teacher, Jennifer Hansen, had animals. And I'm talking about not just a gerbil. She had like a ferret and it had a sling and it was sleeping. And one year, my son Ryan asked over Christmas break if he could bring home the like lizard thing. It was something with like a red light on it. And like none of us could sleep for the whole vacation because the light was so bright for this lizard thing, you know, Um, but we loved it. We embraced that thing that came home, but all these animals, because she was such a naturalist, like as a teacher, she loved to have all that around and the kids learned so much about having these animals. Well, from my own standpoint, I, I remember, I think it was sixth or seventh grade. I mean, this is amazing. I'm a little older than that. And I lived in New York at the time, and a fox had frozen to death outside, Aww, found it in the snow so in a standing sad. position, believe it or not. Stop. I brought it to school, and the science teacher was, oh, yeah, <laughs> let's do we So we wound up doing all these uh, interesting lessons, and ultimately, built, you know, we did what's called skeletal prep. We put the animal back together oh and had a gosh. skeleton, a full skeleton of this fox in the classroom. But this was a project we got to do, and of course, it took months. But man, were we brilliant! Into it. And I remember it. I mean, I'm long out of sixth grade, wow. but I remember like it was yesterday. Wow! Kudos to that teacher Isn't for that not something? just saying put that thing right. down. Go get. <laughs> what right. are you doing? Why did you bring that dead animal? <laughs> How far did you walk with that? I took it on the school bus <laughs> in a gar- in a garbage bag. I remember because, you know, we, it was in the snow in the wintertime in, in New York. The craziest thing I ever put on a school bus, I was with my brother and we collected chestnuts and we had a paper bag and the bottom got wet. And so when we got on the bus, oh, the bag no. broke. And every time we stopped, all the chestnuts would roll to the front. And every time we pulled away, all the chestnuts would roll to the back. But anyway, that... Well, all right. So one more memory that I just from New York, because this one school I went to, we tapped uh, maple trees and got the sap and made maple syrup and the teacher let us have a pancake breakfast with our our own maple syrup that we made from the tree. Again, I remember like it was yesterday. Who does that? Unbelievable. Yeah, you didn't do a worksheet about maple syrup. And I digress from the modalities of learning. I love hearing about this. We have a couple more left. So mathematical. Now, you know, already it conjures up images of, uh, you know, I've already blacked over because I'm not a great <laughs> mathematician, but tell me about mathematical. Interestingly, it's not what you think. It's not somebody that wants to sit and do equations all day. It's about puzzles. Oh. And it's about, you know, when you look at a room and you see shapes, almost like if you think about like someone who has a dream of being an architect mm-hmm. and they're seven, and that's probably the way they learn best is mathematical. It's about seeing patterns around you, solving puzzles easily, um, the Rubik's Cube, things like that. 
Okay, that make now that makes me feel a little better. I'll probably <laughs> do that. And the last one we need to talk about is verbal linguistic. What is that? This is the pretty common way most teachers teach, as if we are all verbal linguistic. It's lecture. It's students who learn best when someone feeds them information, whether it's on a PowerPoint or they read it in a book. It's just they're, they're, they receive that information that way the best. And unfortunately, for hundreds of years, teachers taught that way. And those poor kids that weren't the verbal linguistic kids had to suffer through that. So I'm glad we're looking at other ways to teach. I'm glad Howard Gardner has done this research. I wish more schools would embrace these eight. He actually has another one. It's called Existential. And I haven't dived a lot into that. And then I think he's working on another one that's like an educator education um, modality. But um, definitely lots of research happening in the way we learn and how teachers need to present information to students. And it all circles back to this whole concept of how physical activity, and here's a list, physical activity improves students' focus, improves retention, improves memory consolidation, creativity, and mood. And now we're having to talk about the fact that some schools want to take away recess. Really, it sounds more like a punishment because they think that somehow taking this away this positive part of the day is going to somehow improve standardized test scores. And again, I ask, as I did earlier, show me the data. Show me one study that shows taking away recess somehow gives better standardized test scores. Yeah, and you know, you asked a question earlier about parents. And if if more parents would question administrators who make an announcement like this, they obviously need to tell the parents, hey guys, we're going to take away recess if more parents would stand up and not fight it in a way that says, you know, I don't like this, this isn't fair, but in a way, to your point, show us the data. We will we will respect this. If you can show us that this is actually going to improve my son, my daughter's standardized test scores. And, you know, if there is, then I will lean in and read it and embrace it if it's something that someone's going to show me. But the research I see says otherwise. So again, explain to me, how does a rule like this become, uh, you know, be pervasive, I guess, throughout a whole school district? Where does it start? Who gets the idea and has the ability to say, okay, as of such and such a date, we're taking recess out of the curriculum? You know, I I don't know the answer, but I know what I I think, and it's based in fear. It starts at the top level where we all as states are kind of put in order of how well we nationally, you know, um, test what our scores are. And so as a state leader, we don't want to be number 50. No one wants to be down there. So now... When I lived in Louisiana, we knew that Mississippi was always going to be 50. So we had some solace in You loved Mississippi. (laughs) 49. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Great story. Um, So... It's fear. It's fear of coming in last. It's fear of being the one state that's just lagging behind. It's un- unfortunately fear drives a lot of what we do. It drives a lot of our decisions outside of education. We're all f- afraid of failure, but we we grasp at straws. I think we don't think about the actual repercussions of that. We right. just think about, oh my gosh, what can we do? What can we do? And let you know, it's time. We have kids for seven hours a day. What can we do to give them more academic instruction? 
oh, well, look at that. They take 30 minutes of recess. Let's get rid of that. That's 30 minutes of math they can do. So they look at it more as a logical, it's almost like a, a formula, a template. They don't think of the little kids, the, the children that are sitting in those desks. And again, a, a worksheet for 30 minutes is not going to improve math scores if you're not being able to run around and get your energy out. I mean, heck, let's take away lunch too. Let them eat a sandwich <laughs> while they continue to do work so yeah, they're not all, missing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm throwing this to you as a curveball. Right. What are the solutions or what are the alternatives to standardized tests, which so many people have very strong opinions about? Is there a better way? Well, if I were the president of education in the world, I would say, let's get the corporations involved. Where do these kids go after 12th grade? Okay, they either go to a job, they go to a college, um, they become entrepreneurs, which is a job. You know, they start a family. There's places they go when they leave 12th grade. Okay, so if we know that, why don't we let those places decide what's important? You know, if I'm a company and I'm hiring graduates straight out of 12th grade, I'm looking for some things. I'm not, you know, I'm not winging it when I, when I have a job interview. So if I'm looking for these five things, let me go into this 12th grade classroom and tell the teacher what I need and let's, let's sit down and talk about where improvements can happen. You know, something crazy like that. I think we really need to like go big and bold and go crazy and think outside the box. All right, well, before we wrap up another excellent show, let me remind everybody you're listening to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're here nationally wherever fine podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's own WTMA 1250 WTMA, Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. And we broadcast from right here at our home base in Charleston, South Carolina. And by the way, we invite your questions and comments. That's where this show came from. Uh, dealing with the fact that some school districts are taking away recess, thinking that that extra 30 minutes is somehow going to improve test scores. Why don't you visit Robin's website at robinberlinski.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-B-E-R-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And uh, you'll find other podcasts that we've done. You'll find lots of information, links to many of our friends who've come in here to the studio. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you something. One of the things that you succeed in doing for me is making me angry. And, oh, no. And, and a, no, in a good way. Okay. Because, you know, I'm, I've got one still left in school, but a lot of this... I don't have to deal with anymore, but I want to thank you. I mean, this opens my eyes, and, and I'm a very involved parent. I'm, I'll pick up a Good. phone. I'll make a meeting, do whatever it takes, and obviously everybody should do that as well. Any closing comments before we say goodbye from another successful program? Just good, let's keep that good energy flowing through our schools. Energy. Because energy, energy matters. matters. I heard that. All right, <laughs> folks. Again, this is Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. See you next time. <laughs>